Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, we are basically two months and counting, just a little bit more than two months. There will be just a little bit of conversation about quarterback in the draft between now and and night one in cities like ours. Uh, Field Yates has always been one of my favorites. Uh, He has been with ESPN for a while now. You can follow him on Twitter, on X, at Field Yates. He joins us right now, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Uh, There will be some non-quarterback questions for you, but I want to focus on quarterback here. And I actually want to start with, you know, a week ago Sunday, what is your opinion of Patrick Mahomes after winning his third? I mean, my opinion is probably not that different from what where most people are right now, Kevin. I would say that Patrick Mahomes has put himself in the conversation for the second most accomplished quarterback of all time. Uh, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm going to probably stop short of calling somebody the greatest to ever do it when he's maybe only on hole seven or eight of the proverbial 18-hole career that I hope that Patrick Mahomes has the chance to fulfill in its entirety. And when the most accomplished quarterback, in my estimation, Tom Brady, holds every statistical passing record that anybody cares about and has seven Super Bowl victories. So while Mahomes uh, may end up with more, I think that for now, his resume relative to Brady's is incomplete. He's the best player on the planet right now, certainly a walking playoff burst for the Kansas City Chiefs, almost regardless of what happens around him on the roster. And uh, in a, a time in which I do think we have several defining athletes in this generation, whether it's LeBron James and Seth Curry in the NBA, or whether it's Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin in the NHL, I do believe that right now Patrick Mahomes is the signature individual athlete across all sports. To me, that's a fairly significant mantle to be sitting upon. Has there ever been a better front nine for a quarterback? Uh, that's oof, it, it's probably not no and and Brady uh, you know had the three victories in his first four seasons as a starter in the Super Bowl but Brady's statistical profile is very different than Patrick Mahomes and I, I understand that uh, this is going to come across um, it's something other than you know lathering on the praise for Tom Brady but it's not Tom Brady was a different player early on in his career than the guy that kind of hit his stride and became this record-setting quarterback left and right for basically every season from about 2004, 2005 on, uh, and continue to do so at an incredibly high level, all the way until the ungodly age of 45 in the NFL. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes, you know, stepped onto the field as a second-year player, first-year starter, and became, you know, a, a potential MVP candidate. That's how tremendous he was out of the gates. Uh, the stuff that he did for the Chiefs was record-setting. Um, so you could say that Patrick Mahomes has been the better player through the first. I guess this would be seven, but six seasons of playing of his career. Uh, that being said, this is a this is a marathon, not a sprint. So 
if uh, you're Tom Brady and you're still clinging to hope that you will uh, go down as the greatest quarterback of all time, or I should say remain as the greatest quarterback of all time, Patrick Mahomes still has some uh, work ahead of him. But, uh, you know, I, I don't bet against that guy right now with everything that he has accomplished uh, and this remarkable run this past year during a season in which it felt like if you're the Buffalo Bills or the Baltimore Ravens or one of these other teams at the top of the heap, the AFC, you must be kicking yourself thinking about the fact that the door was open to beating the Chiefs and nobody was able to do so when it mattered in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't want to obsess over Mahomes. I feel like we did this all last week, but it's just interesting oh, yeah. because you started off by talking about, you know, the second most accomplished quarterback. And yet, I think, you know, if we took the numbers out of it and we just said, what have we watched with our own eyes as lifelong football fans? There's a case to be made that Mahomes is the best we've ever seen. He might end up being the most talented quarterback that we have ever seen. Yeah. I'm not trying to dispute that. I don't know. I'm part of me part of the reason why I don't have a long, successful radio show like you do, Kevin, is I don't necessarily <laughs> have the energy to like debate these topics as much when they're still ongoing, yeah. right? I mean, right. Um, gets repetitive. Me to, yeah, I mean, no, no, far be it. For, I, I just, you know, I am incredibly grateful and appreciative of what we have. Uh, with Patrick Mahomes, I'm also not ready to draw my final conclusion on him because. There could be, I mean, maybe an outside chance, but there is a chance that, you know, 10 years from now, we're not talking about Patrick Mahomes as, uh, you know, the contemporary to Tom Brady, but like, is this the greatest athlete we have ever seen, right? There's also a chance, and I'm not betting on this either, but he ends up with five Super Bowl titles, which would be the second most ever by a quarterback and an incredible accomplishment. But if he has five and Brady has seven and the numbers are parallel, at least close to it, how can you make the case for Patrick Mahomes as the most accomplished ever when Tom has them up to yep. in the most important category. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of outcomes that are on the table here for Patrick Mahomes. I, I try to sort of live a little bit more in the moment than just be, uh, you know, very sort of truthfully as a football fan, just you know, grateful that we have the chance to witness uh, the apex of Patrick Mahomes. And maybe there's a chance the apex hasn't even reached. And yeah. if that's the case, then the rest of the NFL is screwed. Yeah, they are. And it's a, it's, you're right. Just uh, at, at some point, take a step back and just enjoy him because he is, he's incredible to watch. So sticking with quarterback theme, and we'll get to Washington here in a moment, um, a week removed from the Super Bowl, what, what do you think the 49ers think of Brock Purdy? I do love Brock Purdy. And I think that it's not going to be lip service when you hear Kyle Shanahan lathering on the praise for him during various points this offseason. They love Brock Purdy. They think he's a high-level quarterback. We can debate that externally, whether we think he belongs in the conversation for one of the eight or ten best. But the reality is that it's not just what your evaluation is of Brock as an individual player, but it's also your evaluation of where Brock is at his juncture of his career, what juncture he's at in his career, and what resources you have available to dedicate to the quarterback. Say whatever you want about Brock Purdy. For the next year, he is the best discount in maybe professional sports, but certainly among starting quarterbacks because the 49ers will be good again next year, and they have very little in the way of, well, by the time it's all said and done, they will have uh, not deep pockets to spend in free agency, uh, assuming they take care of a couple of guys that either are extension eligible or are free agents this offseason that uh, will need to be retained if they want to kind of keep things going the way they are right now. So I look at it like this, Brock imperfect. I'm not naive to that fact. I also believe that Brock is the 49ers best option for next year and a guy that you can legitimately win 
a Super Bowl with as your quarterback. I understand that right now it feels like they were a mile away, but they went to overtime against you know maybe the second greatest quarterback or most accomplished quarterback already. They uh, had the lead, right? I mean, when Brock Purdy last touched the football in the Super Bowl, his team was up by three points. So I think San Francisco is much more likely to kind of just hold the fort and uh, just kind of power through with, uh, how things are with Brock Purdy and see if they can sort of find ways to supplement the roster around him a little bit. They don't need to do a whole lot and then just play better. I know it sounds ridiculous. I know fans who have followed Kyle Shanahan are sick of hearing that because he's been in three separate high leverage moments in the Super Bowl where he has been on the wrong side of the outcome. You got to play better though. I, I understand that Kyle Shanahan has, uh, you know, been a part of three of the, you know, most notable I think collapse is too strong, but the most notable, at least in two of them, I mean, one of them was a collapse, right? The 28 to three game. Yeah. But still, he's been on the wrong side of three bitter, bitter endings in the Super Bowl. It also means that he is very, very close to being three and oh, is either an offensive coordinator or a head coach. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. I get that. But if you're San Francisco, I think you have to be thinking long and hard about just finding a way to largely run things back and count on your infrastructure and count on these guys still being very close to their top of their game in the case of many of the players that they have for expensive contracts. We're talking to Field Yates from ESPN. So let's fast forward uh, to the end of April. Uh, Do you think at that point Justin Fields is still on Chicago's roster or not? I don't. I assume that he'll be traded, and uh, I, I don't have. I'm not. I'm not trying to report something because I don't have that information uh, right now. But uh, I just would say this is that that's sort of driven by circumstance. But um, I am going to find a lot of ways to discuss this. One way that is simple is that after three seasons, if you're having the conversation about whether the guy is or is not a long-term option at quarterback, generally speaking, it profiles as a player who is not a long-term option at quarterback. There have been a couple of examples of guys that have had fourth-year success that was uh, sort of counter to what they had done in the first three years. The most recent one was Daniel Jones. Uh, the Giants were then thrust into paying him a lot of money on a long-term contract. He struggled before getting hurt and now has a second knee injury. Excuse me, he had two neck injuries and a torn ACL on the ledger. So uh, the Giants might be in a heap of trouble as it pertains to their quarterback contract. But um, I think Justin has enough ability to be a starting, a starting upgrade for multiple teams around the NFL, Pittsburgh, Atlanta amongst them, especially teams that don't have an obvious path to acquiring a quarterback like the Bears do with the first pick in the draft. Uh, if the Bears did not own pick one and only had pick nine, I would not be banging the gavel and saying Chicago must do everything in its power to move up from nine to you know, two or three to acquire one of these top three quarterbacks. But given the circumstances, which always matter, I think Chicago would be smart to take Caleb Williams and proceed with a new starting quarterback for hopefully, in their case, you know, another 10 years or so. I think one of the um, conversations fans always are way off on uh, draft, yes, but trade compensation. It's like whenever you start uh-huh. to guess on trade compensation, it usually is not as close to what you thought it was. What is Justin Fields going to bring back for Chicago? Well, I, I'll tell you this. is uh, So what you do in, in, in situations like this is you always try to find, this is like real estate, right? You try to find cops, try to find houses in the same neighborhood that went for X dollars, right? There aren't a ton of perfect comps here because you've got examples of quarterbacks that went for outlandish prices, like Sam Bradford when he was traded to the Vikings after Teddy Bridgewater shredded his knee. And, uh, you know, it was like late August. The Vikings wanted to compete that season 
They traded the uh, first-round pick to Philadelphia uh, for Sam Bradford. However, um, the best, most recent comp is, in my estimation, Sam Darnold. You can't evaluate that based off of what Sam Darnold became in Carolina and what he has been since. You have to evaluate it based off of what Sam Darnold was at the time that he was traded. Like Justin Fields, highly drafted player. As a matter of fact, he was the third pick. Justin, of course, was the 10th pick in the draft. Sam had basically been a three-year starter, which included in the first two seasons, 36 touchdowns to just 28 intercept to 20 interceptions, which is a lot, obviously. Imperfect. I'm not, I'm not trying to confuse right. anybody with that. But there were some moments for Sam Bradford in the same way that there have been some moments, more in the case of Justin. Uh, but Sam, like Justin, is one of those guys that I, uh, I think evaluators see a little bit differently depending on who you're speaking with. And some really like Sam Bradford. Excuse me, Sam, Sam Darnold. Darnold. Yep. So he goes for a two, and I believe it was a four, uh, and, and that goes to the Jets. Do we look back and say that was a bad trade by Carolina? Of course. They made many bad moves. That's why everybody there was fired this past season or offseason. Um, but that's probably, to me, a reasonable comp. I think that a first-round pick for the Bears would be hard to fetch, incredibly hard to fetch, absent one thing. The Bears are probably hoping that all these teams that have eyes on quarterbacks, like the Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers, right? They probably want Baker Mayfield to go back to Tampa. They want Minnesota to keep Kirk Cousins. And then they want the Raiders, and they want the Steelers. They want the Falcons to all have no option at quarterback and the Broncos the same way because if you can get three or four interested parties, right. maybe what could be a second and a fourth becomes a second or a third, or maybe, maybe in an completely, completely unlikely, but perhaps circumstance, there is a first, a late first-round pick involved. So I'd be very, very surprised if they got a number one pick. But, you know, if you have multiple bidders, people will do some crazy things in real estate and when it comes to trading for quarterbacks. No doubt. All right. So uh, before we get to Washington at two, do you see any possibility that Caleb Williams isn't the number one pick in the draft? You know, on film, I don't think I do. Uh, I think the player is outstanding. I think that the rhetoric has gotten a little bit out of hand surrounding Caleb Williams. I would just say this. There's a lot more to the evaluation than just the film. We have two months, as you alluded to earlier, ahead of us, uh, where these prospects are going to be sliced and diced uh, fairly or unfairly, oftentimes unfairly. So um, I haven't, like, printed my Caleb Williams Bears jersey, if that makes sense. I haven't sent him Zillow listings in Chicago yet. Uh, but I would say that he is the overwhelming favorite and deserves to be to go number one overall. I don't think this is as uh, quite as, like, lock it in as Trevor Lawrence coming out a couple of years ago. I think he is a comparable prospect in terms of overall ability. That one, though, felt like it was kind of, you know, the hand was tipped pretty much right away, and understandably so in that 2021 draft class. So I think Caleb goes number one overall, but, uh, you know, until, like, I get some Adam Schefter tweet that says that he is going to be a bear, I'll probably stop short of guaranteeing something, but I do believe that's where it ends up. All right, and, you know, the idea that they would take some sort of an historic haul, I mean, kind of goes out the window if they trade Justin Fields. They've, they're going to take Caleb Williams. Yeah, they're taking Caleb Williams. I also don't know what an historic haul means, to be honest. Exactly. Right, like, so, what does that mean? I, I, you know, um, like, what it, they got well, last year was obviously very good, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I went back and looked at some of the closest comps for, you know, up to up to one or up to super high in the draft. Like when Washington traded for RG3, it's, it wasn't – see, we're looking at it more from a Washington to Chicago standpoint, one spot. You don't use the Jimmy Jan- Johnson draft chart for that because as you described with Fields, it becomes a supply-demand thing. Um, and right. if there's a lot of demand, that price gets driven up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I think, you know, from Washington's standpoint, to move up to one historic, I don't know that they'd be willing to do it. Two, I think it's, you know, a swap and then a couple of more ones. You know what, Kevin? Um, I think you're right. And I think that whatever most fans, you know, I've seen people say, hey, you know, give them, you know, two plus, uh, what is it, whatever it is, 40, basically return the Montez sweat pick, right? And call it a day. <laughs> it ain't going to be like that, right? No. It, it would be whatever you think it is. Just add a whole lot more. I get it. It's, and you can't use charts. You can't use logic. You have to use this concept in mind. The only way that the commanders would trade up from pick two to pick one is because there is one and only one quarterback they believe is worth that pick. Most likely we would infer that it's Caleb Williams, especially with the Cliff Kingsbury connection. That's the only way it happens though. And if you're Ryan Poles, the Bears GM, again, I'll make this a, this is the analogy, right? It's okay. You've got the one house in the neighborhood that this buyer wants, and this buyer needs this very specific house. So they have to have it by this certain date and uh, whatever the circumstances may be. Well, if you know that this is it, make or break, you're not going to sell it for whatever you originally listed it at, right? You're going to sell it for as much as you can possibly get. So, um, I hate to make this so supply and demand, so economics, so real estate markets, but uh, that's how it is. And that's why I think um, not only is there incredibly low chance that they trade up from two to one, but there's an incredibly low chance that they trade down from two to three, right? The Patriots, for all the same factors, would not be nearly as motivated to move up from three to two as I'm sure Commanders fans would like them to be. All right, so let's get to it. So we've just decided that the odds are stacked heavily in favor of the Bears trading Justin Fields and staying at one and selecting Caleb Williams. I saw your mock draft from last week. You like Washington select to select Jaden Daniels. Why? I love the player, and I think that people have to understand very quickly that when you put one player in your mock, a spot ahead of the other, does not mean that you have like this um, – like my evaluation of Jaden Daniels is not so far superior to Drake Mays that I think it will be a massive error, right? As a matter of fact, uh, it's possible the commanders think that Drake May is a superior player. So I'm not ruling out that possibility. I will just say this, that, you know, Jaden Daniels did as much as you could possibly do in one college football season to boost your stock. He was absolutely electric this past season, 40 passing touchdowns, only four interceptions. So minimal turnovers this past season uh, led the country, at least amongst FBS players in terms of yards per attempt. He changes the way he tilts the field in a way that no other quarterback in the class does because of the rushing ability. But this is not to be mistaken for a guy that comes out of college. who can only run. He is a very gifted and natural thrower as well. He excels on vertical throws down the field. The wide receivers in LSU had some shades of, of the commanders in the sense that they had multiple very talented guys. They crushed it on wide receiver screens as well. It's important that your quarterback distributes the football accurately and in a spot for those wide receivers to run after the catch with the football in their hands. All of those areas were great strengths of Jaden Daniels. And I'll say this until the draft begins on April 25th. 
when the moment was at its biggest, Jaden Daniels was at his best. I understand it's LSU. They're never going to be this team that is totally bereft of talent. But I'm just telling you, they were not as good as a nine-win team last year that besides that they lost an absolute shootout to Ole Miss. By the way, like one of the worst defenses in school history this past Never. year for LSU. Never. So uh, he, he really needed to carry a significant load and go back and just find like the absolutely terrible game from Jaden Daniels. You'll be searching all the way through that 2023 season uh, and you won't find it. I mean, absolutely sensational in so many big moments, uh, kind of put the team on his back when they needed the most. And uh, the numbers look like video game numbers, but we're talking about big numbers against great teams. I mean, nearly 400 yards of offense against both Alabama and Missouri in those games. He had over 100 yards rushing. He had over 200 yards passing. He had four passing touchdowns, uh, excuse me, four total touchdowns against Missouri, a, game, a team that, by the way, is going to have four or five guys drafted from their defense, including two corners, a linebacker, you know, a terrific edge rusher. So that's great competition on the road. Uh, he was great in his biggest moments. There's so much to like about Drake May. I am not going to sit here and say a single negative thing about Drake May, but when you put a player two as opposed to three, it is not about what the other guy doesn't do well. It's rather shining a spotlight on what the player, in this case, Jaden Daniels, does at a high level that merits that number two overall pick. Look, you don't have to pitch me or Denton on Jaden Daniels. Uh, we yeah. we agree with everything you said. I, I think – for anybody that that questions um, whether or not he can play the position, go watch the first half of the Bama game in Tuscaloosa. Watch him playing hurt against Missouri uh, and leading them back. Um, I think there's something special about him as well. I'm curious as to whether or not you think the league and really, m- most importantly, teams that have needs – I've had this sense recently from reporting, from mocks, et cetera, including yours, that maybe Jaden Daniels is becoming more of a consensus too than Drake May. Yes or no? I don't know that I would go that far. Um, I, I, I mean, listen, I've spoken to people that, that I've spoken to people that have told me that they like him more, right? That Jaden is ahead of Drake May. But I, I tell people often that I don't confuse uh, the opinion of a few with the opinion of the majority, right? It's also possible that if I kept talking and I talked to, you know, 25 more scouts that they would, I, I would meet 24 that liked Drake May more than Jaden Daniels, right? So uh, there is a sample size, no doubt, that prefers Jaden Daniels to Drake May. And what I have found over my many years of being around the NFL is that uh, oftentimes the scouting community can be uh, in lockstep. So if you're hearing from several people that Drake May is uh, a, just a tiny notch behind Jaden Daniels, that might be reflective of how a lot of teams see it. But I'm not here to tell you that I have uh, anything bad to say about Drake May. If he goes number two overall, I will not say a bad thing about it. I will not say that they erred in some significant way. What I will be saying instead is they just got themselves a heck of a football player who's built a quarterback factory who gives them a real chance to have a 10-year stable quarterback spot going forward. So a, a couple more for Field Yates, who's joining us courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Do you have any sort of hunch on this new group, Adam Peters, Dan Quinn, Cliff Kingsbury, as to between May and Daniels, what the preference would be? Not one. Nope. Okay. That's right. And I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to tell you otherwise. Sure. So, no. so tell me what you think about Peters, Quinn, Kingsbury in this new day in Washington without Dan Snyder. 
Yeah, I've known Adam for a long time. We go back to uh, both of our times in New England, so I think the world of him. He has been around winning programs left and right, uh, obviously nearly got a Super Bowl ring with the 49ers four seasons ago and was a big part of a team that just came within inches of winning one just a couple of weeks ago as well. But, uh, you know, I think there's one of those terms probably is thrown around a little bit too much, but he's a scout. Scout guy's been doing this for a long time in a lot of different capacities. So he's dynamic, as I think people have probably already found out uh, through through watching him in a couple of his press conferences, I guess both his and Coach Quinn. So uh, a huge fan. I think the franchise is in uh, terrific hands. Um, Adam was probably a few years overdue for becoming a general manager. Uh, my guess is that, uh, you know, when you have done as well as he has done, uh, winning Super Bowls with the Patriots and the Broncos, you probably have the rare opportunity to be picky and choosy as a, a potential general manager candidate. So he waited for the right opportunity. And I think he landed on that right opportunity. So um, Dan Quinn, I, I don't know personally, um, but, you know, I think the reputation is pretty obvious. I mean, one of the more uh, likable and respected guys in all of the NFL brings some experience at the head coaching spot, which can provide some value. Um, and uh, they should be in, in, a, in just a much different space defensively going forward. The scheme is always going to be solid, and you know that DQ is going to have the respect of his players. You could tell just how much it bothered, uh, not, not that they were uh, disagreeing with this decision, but you can tell how much it hurts guys like Micah Parsons to not have Dan Quinn uh, on their roster or on their, on their team anymore. So uh, I'm excited about the future for sure, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, first time in a long time. All right, one quick one to end because there's been you know some offshore books that have put Kirk Cousins as the favorite to land in Washington. Where do you think Cousins lands? Uh, I I I think it's probably uh, going to be Minnesota, but I have again I have no information there. That's just I think inertia tends to prevail. So that's my guess. <laughs> it tends, it tends to prevail. It does. Uh, that was very nice of you. A really generous uh, time. I appreciate it so much. Take care. All right. Thank you. Yep. Field Yates, everybody, from ESPN, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. We'll do some Denton news when we come back, and then I will share with you some thoughts. Uh, and you can do the same um, starting at noon uh, about the passing of Lefty Drizel over the weekend. Tom McMillan will be our guest at 1225. Kevin Sheehan, show the Team 980, the Team980.com. We're also free and live on the Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, Denton, what do you got? All right, so this first clip, I got a couple of clips for you today. Really went into my bag of tricks with the audio. So this first clip is something that literally just dropped uh, about an hour ago on television that's made its way to social media. We will get to the Rick Patino stuff, but I feel like this is kind of uh, more prevalent because it just happened. This was from ESPN's first take. Uh, take a listen to these comments on J- from J.J. Redick on his former coach, now coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, Doc Rivers. Conference. Side note real quick. No one's going to react to Doc's audio there. We've been here yeah, seven heard, minutes oh. since we showed that audio. Nobody's going to react to Doc's audio. Do you want me to get it oh, Doc, hey, for you? He's Look, doing, he's you doing, doing repeat it. I, I, we don't have to repeat it. I can repeat I, I've it. I've seen the trend now. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc, we get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle of the season is hard for a player. We get it. Mm-hmm. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And then you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no <laughs> – there's never accountability with that guy. Well, there's never say, accountability. Well, wow. J.J. Redick, this first time I've heard that. First of all, what Doc Rivers' comments were they talking about? Was he trying to excuse make for the Bucks' loss to the uh, to the Grizzlies the, the, the other night? Well, so Doc said over the weekend, over All-Star weekend, that he wished he didn't take over when he did, and he, wanted, he actually wanted to oh, wait boy. until after All-Star, the All-Star game, because it was one of the toughest What's, what's the record with him right now? Three and seven. Three and seven. J.J. Redick played for him. I know he played for him, you know, uh, out in In Lob LA. City, yeah. Played for him in Philly, too, right? No, he did not. He played for uh, Brett uh, Brown. Oh, Philly. Brett Brown. Um, <laughs> J.J. Redick's awesome, by the way. He's great in the role of, you know, a a an opinion maker. Uh, he is totally fearless, and I think he's smart. Um, anyway. Uh, look, I've said this about Doc Rivers forever. I've never understood the fascination with Doc Rivers. It's the same thing I thought about Scott Brooks all of those years. Now, Scott Brooks did not win a title like Doc did with the Celtics, but I just always felt watching, and you don't pick up on these things until they're playing playoff games, and there's lots of strategy, and it's meaningful because losses actually hurt, wins actually really help. I just always felt like he had no idea what he was doing in terms of in-game strategy. I've never seen uh, an actual cohesive offensive approach in some of these playoff games. It was always, I mean, ISO teams always drove me nuts. I mean, I know that a lot of the game has gone in that direction. I've just never been impressed with Doc Rivers. Now, that's not everything in being an NBA head coach. You know, some of the better one of the reasons Scott Brooks got the opportunity here was very well liked and beloved in Oklahoma City is because he's really good with people. He's really good with his players. The players really like him. But at some point, 
And I remember saying this when they hired Scott Brooks. And by the way, what a wonderful gentleman he was. I mean, just the nicest of people. And you can understand how, you know, he'd be impressive in an interview and players would say nice things about him and other coaches would say nice things about him. But he never had an inbounds pass to get the ball in against pressure at the end of a game. I I just couldn't. I mean, eighth grade coaches have two or three inbounds passes and plays to run to get the ball inbounds against full court pressure. And I, I just think Doc Rivers is average at best. Average, and it certainly sounds like J.J. Redick thinks the same thing, although that's not really specifically what J.J. Redick was hammering of hammering him for. He's hammering him for being, you know, a pass-the-buck-everybody-else's-fault-not-mine kind of a guy. So, I don't know. Um, you know, Doc Rivers played, I think I've mentioned this before, one of the all-time great um, playoff games – uh, and he was uh, Doc Rivers was a good player, really, really good player uh, for the Atlanta Hawks, which I think was the team that draft, w- drafted him. I think they were. Um, but he played in that game in which Dominique Wilkins scored 47 points. He was the starting point guard. Larry Bird went for like 39 or something like that in one of the all-time great playoff games in the late 80s between the Hawks and the Celtics. It was Dominique Wilkins's. he had a bunch of great games, but it was his signature career game, and it came in a loss, unfortunately. But um, that series went seven games and was just an incredible, um, an incredible series. I'm trying to pull it up. That was, okay, that was game seven. Here's the box score. Because you know who else played in that game? Who else was in the starting lineup? Doc Rivers, Dominique had 47 in that game, and Bird had 34. And it was a game seven that Boston won 118 to 116. Doc Rivers started that game, uh, 16 points, 18 assists, and Randy Whitman (laughs) was the second leading scorer for the Hawks that night. Uh, he was 11 of 13 from the floor, 22 points. You want to hear something really strange? Just to give you an idea of the difference between the NBA, that would have been 12, you know, 36 years ago. Bird against Dominique in a game seven in the postseason. Atlanta shot five three pointers in the game. <laughs> five. <laughs> that was it. Uh, Boston shot nine. Atlanta was one for five from behind the arc. And the Celtics were three for nine from behind the arc. Um, anyway, I've never been a big Doc Rivers fan as a as an X's and O's coach. I'm sure he's a fine guy, but man, Reddick got on his former coach there. What else do you have? All right, so from one coach to another one, we'll head to the college basketball game. Here are just a few of the comments that Rick Pitino made over the weekend that were not yeah. exactly nice about his team. I don't think they move well laterally. I don't think they're going to pick it up in the next week. Um, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. Even, even the Celtics, when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. Do you have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. I think they're very respectful. They hear, but they don't listen. It's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes. Actually, two months to throw bounce passes. 
You know, I I I saw that and he was clearly frustrated. They lost to Seton Hall. They blew a 19-point lead in that game, and they've been playing very poorly in his first year after starting off and at one point being, you know, very much in the tournament field, you know, in terms of the bracketologist's projections. Rick Pitino lost his mind during that press conference. First of all, he did rip St. John's. He ripped their facilities uh, during that presser. Secondly, the players that he has are players that came via the portal, a lot of them. Uh, so they are his choices uh, during the offseason. Um, and I'm not following St. John's. I was just reading a lot of the follow-up to that. Uh, he is a great coach. He is a first ballot Hall of Fame lock coach, Rick Pitino is. When uh, it fell apart with Turgeon at the end, I wanted Maryland to seriously consider Rick Pitino to be the coach. They weren't going to do that because there's a lot of baggage that comes with Rick Pitino. So he coached Iona to the tournament, and he gets a gig at St. John's. It's not the easiest gig anymore, you know. Uh, if you've ever been to St. John's campus, you know, and you know, right off the LIE there, it's not the easiest place um, to recruit players. It's not the 1980s with Chris Mullen and Louis Carnesecca in the Big East. Um, but he'll win. He will win there. I just thought it was funny because as for those of you who are basketball people out there, coaches in particular, when you don't have athletic quickness and, as he said, they can't move laterally, it means you can't stay in front of people defensively, and, man, are you at a disadvantage against teams when you can't keep the ball in front of you defensively, and by the way, Patino's never been a big zone guy, you know, so I don't know, and I haven't followed Patino enough in recent years to know if he mixes up defenses, if he'll play more zone. He was clearly frustrated at the inability of his players to get uh, anything more out of them athletically, and that's not something you can fix. You know, you can... You can tweak, you can develop. When a player comes in not super athletic, they're not going to all of a sudden become super athletic. That's not something you can change. You have to coach around that. you got to figure out, okay, I have issues. I've got deficiencies defensively. I have players with very slow foot speed. They can't move laterally. They can't slide their feet laterally and stay in front of the person with the basketball or the person trying to cut back door to get the basketball. That's got to be frustrating. But, man, he, he's been emotional over the years. He said yesterday in a, uh, about his uh, uh, press conference, he goes, I was pointing out exactly in a monotone voice why we lost. I'm not always calm and certainly not when I rip someone. I was not ripping anybody. I sometimes want my players to hear my words and read my words. That was my intention. I did have this thought too about you know today's players, you know, and the opportunities by the by the way that they have with you know kind of unrestricted annual free agency portal, etc. Um, you know, you got to be careful, man. They don't react in the same way. Sometimes that you know that what used to be motivational is now hurtful to too many of the players out there because of the sensitivities to criticism. So. I don't know how it'll work. Patino is a great coach, though, man. Always has been. And it would not surprise me at all, even with their facilities, even with their stature, which isn't very high anymore. Um, it would not surprise me at all if in the next two or three years, St. John's is a legitimate Final Four contender. What else do you have? 
So the rumblings out of the NFL, you mentioned franchise tags. The rumblings today are that Mike Evans and Tampa Bay are far apart on a contract extension, and then currently Mike Evans is leaning in the direction of free agency. That could be very frightening, particularly if one Kansas City has a nice offer for Mike Evans and he gets paired with Patrick Mahomes. Um, The wide receiver numbers are high, right, for the tag? Very high. And I don't know what Tampa's um, cap space is, but, man, uh, without him – you know, he dropped a lot of balls, too, this year. I don't know what his drop numbers were, but there were big drops by Mike Evans and also massive catches. How good was he in that playoff game against Detroit? You know, we forget they had a chance in that game. They had a legit chance in that game. Of course, Todd Bowles eliminated all of the chances at the end. <laughs> um, but Mike Evans, man, I, I don't you think he's like one of these guys that every NFL fan knows Every every NFL fan realizes he's a good receiver, but I don't think they realize how great he's been and how consistent he's been as an NFL receiver over his career. I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just think he's been kind of underrated, if that's possible, during his career. I would agree with that. He's played just about 10 years, and he has 11,000 yards. He's never gone under 1,000 yards in a season. Not one year with, with the, under 1,000 yards. No, Not he one. Was, he was very close in 2017. He had 1,001 yards, but he went over. And by the way, it's never included, you know, the uh, the big 100 reception-plus seasons. Um, hold on. I'm going to pull this up real quickly. I don't think it has. He's never gone over 100 receptions. What's the most he's ever had in a season? He had 96 in 2017. The past four or five years, he's around 70 each year. Yeah. Here, yeah. 79 catches this year, 1,255 yards, 15.9 yards per per catch. He was over 17 yards per reception multiple times in 18 and 19. Um, 13 touchdowns this year. That was a a high. You know, they're not a bad football team. Um, I mean, they won a bad division. I understand that, but uh, that guy Canales got the the best out of Baker Mayfield that we've ever seen. Anything else? Uh, quickly, do you see Steve Sarkeesian's new contract in Texas? No, lots but of I can money. Only it's about ten million dollars per year. It also includes a private jet, game tickets, and I think a house. Yeah, Texas has a little bit of money. They're they're one of the few schools that actually could pay athletes a salary and make money doing it. <laughs> All right, when we come back, um, my thoughts on the passing of Lefty Drizel, and then we'll open up phone lines, 301-230-0980. For you Maryland basketball fans, for you local basketball fans, any memories you want to share about Lefty, phone lines are open, 301-230-0980. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show and the Team 980 and theteam980.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. So, um, Lefty Drizel passed away over the weekend. Well, you know, I don't know. Um. <laughs> A ton of Lefty Drizel answers started just that way. Will you know? I don't know. Uh, with that Southern Tidewater Virginia accent. Uh, but we didn't know anything, and he always knew uh, the answer. Um, I'm not sure there's ever been anybody more impersonated, more imitated over the years uh, for people of a certain age than Lefty has been, and really south throughout ACC country, but, you know, what they say about imitation, sincerest form of flattery. I can coach. You know, Leonard is a warrior, he said after one of Bias's games. Uh, maybe the funniest of all time was when uh, he was uh, asked a question about playing games in the Alaska shootout years ago, and the game didn't count among the – you know, number of games that you could play during a season, it didn't count as an official game because it was outside the continental United States, um, which meant basically they got some extra games to play. And he was asked about it, and he said, well, you know, those games don't count because they're not in the United States. And somebody reminded him that Alaska was actually a state. And he said, well, you know, it's not the United States. Um, and that was that was lefty. Um, th- there are so many smiles, so many laughs in me- in remembering him over the weekend. Not that they just started this weekend, because there's a certain group of of basketball fans of a certain age that have been talking lefty stories for years. Uh, a lot of you under the age of forty don't understand kind of the reaction to his passing. I thought it was really nice. You know, ESPN did a whole thing on him um, after he passed Saturday. People in college basketball understood the significance of Lefty's passing um, and understood how important he was to the game. Um, you know, he, he was a giant in the game. Uh, he left an incredible, memorable mark on the game of college basketball. Uh, and... He was also incredible and impactful in this area. There was something that John Thompson used to say about Lefty, 
And, you know, it used to bring a smile to my face, especially in later years. And for people like me who got a chance to work with Coach every day in the same building, my feelings changed dramatically about him after I got to work with him because I was not a Georgetown fan at all, being a Maryland guy. But he used to say, without Lefty, there would have been no Georgetown. Because Lefty was the guy responsible for introducing college basketball to this region. When he showed up in 1969, high school basketball was the biggest thing in terms of basketball in this area. It's true. Uh, John Thompson coached St. Anthony's. Morgan Wooten was at DeMatha. These were not only local powerhouses, they were national powerhouses. And if you were reading the post-sports section, my father and his friends would tell me, you know, in 1970, it was more likely during basketball season that the headlines would include a high school result than a college result. Isn't that crazy to think of? But Washington, which has always been kind of a big, small town, as some people say, Um, about it was a smaller town in personality for sure back then. But when he arrived at Maryland after leading Davidson, sleepy little Davidson, to two Elite Eights, multiple, you know, top 10 rankings, multiple times ranked number two in the country, it was a big deal. And he made the claim that he was going to turn, you know, Maryland into the UCLA of the East. He never got close to that, but he turned Maryland into a powerhouse and simultaneously made college basketball the number two followed entity in this town for a long time. When he got here, the Senators were two years away from moving, so no baseball. The Bullets were in Baltimore. There were no caps. And even during the 70s, when the Bullets moved from Baltimore to D.C. or to Landover, um, they weren't anywhere near as popular as Maryland basketball was. The caps were terrible. Hockey was new. They didn't really even make a dent. It was Redskins one, Terps hoops number two. And then Georgetown became a big part of that conversation as well. We're a completely different sports town than we were in the 70s and the 80s. Completely different. I would say even almost into the 90s. You know, the the, the Gary Williams run here, you know, some of the highest rated non-Redskins games ever watched on local television sporting event-wise were Maryland basketball games involving Gary Williams's teams, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, but Lefty made and made college basketball relevant in this area. And we're so much better off because of it, even though I feel like in recent years, college basketball has definitely tailed off in popularity, not just here, but around the country for so many different reasons. And this, as I mentioned, we've become a pro sports town. We've become a more Northeastern personality and otherwise city with four major pro sports teams, uh, and they take precedent over the college teams. Um, Even though, you know, most people understand this, when Maryland's really good, and I'm talking about top 10 good and, you know, deep into the tournament contention good, it's still one of the hardest tickets to get when they're good. But it's become more bandwagon in recent years. There was this um, word always used to describe the left-hander when he coached. It was colorful. 
You know, it was in his bio, you know, anything you would read about lefty, even over the weekend, one of the more colorful coaches that ever coached uh, in college basketball. And it was the part of the definition of the word that that reads, it's, it's like the second, you know, part of the definition, interesting, lively, and exciting. And he was all of that. It is always great to hear reporters who covered Lefty during his day tell Lefty stories, you know, about interviews or press conferences. He was must-watch, must-listen to. Um, But he was so much more than colorful. He was so so much more than just here to entertain us. He was a winner. I mean, he was a winner. Not a national championship winner, not a Final Four coach, which has always been – kind of a mark on his record, a negative mark on his record, but it was different back then. Lefty, when he retired from Georgia State in 2003, 786 wins. That was number four all time when he retired behind Bobby Knight, Adolph Rupp, and Dean Smith. That was the list. That Lefty didn't win a national championship like Knight, Rupp, and Smith. What didn't take teams to Final Fours, but everywhere he went, he won a lot more games than he lost. He never coached in a national championship game, never won a national championship game, never coached a team to a Final Four. He did coach in the Elite Eight four different times. All right. And for those of you who know about the story of the 1974 season, His best team couldn't even play in the NCAA tournament. The 1974 college basketball season, I think, was the first in what would become maybe a 30-year run of college hoops being at the forefront of fan interest, sports fans' interest. It was... It was a great year. UCLA was coming off, you know, a massive run of winning nine titles in 11 years or whatever it was. I forget exactly what the that, – that may have been the Celtic number. Whatever the UCLA run was, it ended in 73. Now, they won again in 75. But in 74, the top three teams in the country were NC State, UCLA, and Maryland. And there was actually a big difference between those three teams and everybody else. Maryland lost to UCLA in a non-conference game by a point to open up the season. NC State ultimately beat UCLA in the national semifinals on their way to a title where they blew out Marquette in the final. Um, But Maryland, after losing the 74 uh, ACC tournament championship game to NC State, they couldn't go to the NCAA tournament. Only one team, Denton, from that era from a conference, could go to the NCAA tournament. And that year, after what many believe is the greatest college basketball game ever played, although there have been games since, whether it was the Kentucky-Duke Elite Eight game at the Spectrum in Philadelphia and a few others, um, the UCLA-Gonzaga game from a couple of years ago. But for many, many years, nobody doubted that the 74 ACC tournament final that NC State won, 103-100 to in overtime, um, nobody doubted that that was the the absolute greatest start-to-finish college basketball game in history. NC State went on to win an NCAA title. Maryland didn't get to participate. So Lefty's best team didn't get a chance. Um, The next year, he came back uh, without McMillan and Elmore, took a team to the Elite Eight. They lost to Louisville. He had teams that looked like Final Four teams, 
at all, uh, you know at multiple times during his coaching career. But one and done, man. Sometimes it, the ball just doesn't bounce your way. Um, and it didn't bounce his way enough. Billy Packer called him, the great Billy Packer, called him the greatest program uh, builder in the history of the game. That's because of what he did at Davidson, what he did at Maryland for 17 years, what he did then at JMU, took JMU to the NCAA tournament, took Georgia State to the NCAA tournament, and won a game. They upset Wisconsin in the 2001 NCAA tournament, and then got to play Maryland in the second round. Lost that game. That was Maryland, uh, Maryland's first trip ever to the final uh, four. Um, but he was. He was an incredible program builder, and for many, many years he was one of just two coaches to take four different programs to an NCAA tournament. He was an incredible innovator and marketer. He created Midnight Madness. Most of you know that story. He was the first to take seats and put them on the floor. He was the first to move students closer to the floor to create a much different environment. Um, uh, Sabah sent something to me. She sent me this video of Hubert Davis, the North Carolina coach, doing this interview this week with local Carolina reporters, and he was asked to reflect on Lefty, and he said, I don't want to reflect on Lefty as much as I want to reflect on Cole Fieldhouse and how, for him, it was the toughest place, that and Reynolds Coliseum at NC State, that he had to play in during his career in Carolina. And Lefty was a big part of making Cole just an incredible uh, building. Lefty was an incredible recruiter, especially in his first 10 years. Denton, Maryland in the 1970s, they got the number one player in the country Four times, four times, Tom McMillan, who will be our guest at 1225, Albert, uh, Moses Malone, who never played, uh, more on him in a moment, Albert King, and then a player named Reggie Jackson, who was a point guard out of Philadelphia, was the number one player in 78, uh, 79, and Lefty got the number one player four times. You know, some of the stories about Lefty as a recruiter are legendary. He basically took his station wagon, put a shotgun under the front seat, went to Moses Malone's house, stayed there for like five nights until recruiting season opened, and he was the first one at 8 a.m. when recruiting season opened to be at the door knocking, saying, let me come in and pitch you on Maryland. Um Coach Thompson used to tell lefty stories all the time at the station. He said that, you know, a lot of times at these games involving a major prospect, you'd have, you know, in the stands at a high school game, dozens of college coaches, they're all sitting together, all recruiting the player. And people, you know, somebody would say, where's where's lefty? And then somebody would point to the baseline and he'd be standing underneath the basket or he'd be sitting in the crowd with the player's parents. Like he was, he always wanted to be prominently featured, uh, and he was bold. His son Chuck said this about him in the, um, in in honoring him uh, a few weeks ago at a Maryland game where Lefty was supposed to be back, but he was too ill to come back. And he said, "My father was bold, and he was." But just the the recruiting stories are, are legendary. Um, you know, there was always this knock about Lefty that he was a great recruiter, not as good of a coach. I always felt like they had that backwards. He was a great recruiter who became less of a great recruiter because they didn't get top 10 classes towards the end. And that's where you saw how great of a coach he was. Because some of those teams that weren't nearly as deep, weren't nearly as talented, were still going to Sweet 16s all of the time. And by the way, being ranked in the top 10, top 15. Um 
There's so much more. I'm up against a hard break here. I'm going to come back and finish up, and then I'll take your calls. And then Tom McMillan will jump on with us. But Lefty was, as Scott said, Van Pelt said, he was one of one. He was a true original. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.